0: Cool. So let's get into
1: topic. Okay, so before we get started, if you want to introduce yourself, yes. tell everybody what you do, who you are, all of that. Yeah, I'm Melissa Lapita,
2: a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I specialize in trauma, like emotional trauma and attachment wounding. Wow.
1: Okay. okay. That's so, amazing. So now, when you say you specialize in that, like, that's like your population of people that you deal with. Yes. What's- What type of stuff? This is what I want to know is like, what sort of things do you see? What sort of trauma do you see?
2: Yeah. So a lot of it is people who grew up with parents that have personality disorders or people that grew up in abusive households, people that have been in narcissistic, abusive relationships. Um, What else?
1: That's pretty much my population right there. So you're dealing with a lot of um, aftermath of like, so you know a lot about narcissism.
2: And all the personality disorders and the trauma that comes along with being in relationship with anybody that has a personality disorder, whether it's family member, spouse, business partner, whoever.
0: See, that's the one thing that I'm really intrigued to go on because not a lot of people realize that they're in a narcissist relationship or they have whether it be a husband, a wife, a, a friend, a parent, um, that if we could touch base on what they need to what what um what am I looking for? What what are the signs? Yes that what you signs like do you how ask? do you
1: know you're dealing with a narcissist? Like what are the because there's different yeah. types of narcissism too, right? Yes. I think so.
2: Absolutely. There are definitely different types. Like some are covert and some are more outright, right? And so it's very tricky, especially. If you grew up in a household like that, how are you supposed to know that anything's wrong if that's all you know from the time you're a child, right? And so that becomes the norm. And when we talk about what are the signs, it's confusing. That's the biggest sign is that your relationship with this person is confusing. And Mm. we don't have to be confused in our relationships. Our relationships, healthy relationships, are safe. We feel good in them we're not questioning ourselves in them and they're nourishing for the most part right you have small ruptures but you repair them pretty easily when you're in a relationship with somebody that has a personality disorder it's very confusing you constantly are spiraling in your head you're wondering if this is you if this is them and the nature of the connection is just confusing because sometimes it's one way and sometimes it's another way and there's mm-hmm. no consistency. But again, for a kid, like I'll just say for myself, I grew up, my dad is a clinical sociopath. I didn't know that wasn't normal. So for me, chaos, confusion, feeling wounded and the relationship was just what you do in relationships, that was, right? That was a Tuesday for you. Mm. Uh, exactly. So then getting into a narcissistic relationship was like a step up because it wasn't as bad <laughs> as being in a relationship with a sociopath, right? Mm. So this is the problem is so many people that I work with, they don't have a reference for healthy. And that's really sad. It's so sad because It's typical that when you have a parent that has a personality disorder, I always say it's like being struck by lightning. You're more prone to get into repetitive relationships with people that have personality disorders because we seek familiarity and that feels like home to us, right? Right. And so often we'll repeat that pattern over and over and over.
0: Mm.
1: Oh yeah. I've, that I've, makes sense. I've I've repeated it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> a lot.
1: Um yes. And now the I mean some of the personality disorders because I mean I feel like the most popular one that everybody talks about is narcissism. But there's mm-hmm. a lot of personality disorders. Um yes. What would you say just like from your clinical experience is the most uh would be the most like damaging or dangerous?
2: So I'd say the top three are narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder. And I was going to say schizo, like some of the schizoid ones are hard for children because the parent has a flat affect. And so there's no emotional validation and you're just left very confused, but it's not as painful as the other two Mm. because, oh, I'm sorry. That's not even the one I wanted to bring up. I wanted to bring up a sociopath because that's just (laughs) like, but that's so rare. It's like so rare, right? So the more common ones, like I've met one other person in my life that had a sociopathic parent before. So it's like the rare, it's the rarest of the personality disorders, narcissistic and borderline are a lot more common. And the reason why all three of those are so confusing is because there's a back and forth, right? So you're getting, it's like Jekyll and Hyde, that story Mm. of you get the good and you get the bad and it flip-flops and it flip-flops. And so it's really hard to make sense of it because there are good times and good moments Mm -hmm. and good interactions with that person sometimes
0: right that makes sense that makes a lot of sense it's insane yeah we were kind of just talking about that like
1: um in our last episode about we were talking about like toxic relationships and we were saying that because we both um have experience in that in that department and we were saying that the
0: highs are really high Mm -hmm. but the lows are like they they're low like when you're in your high moment like i was saying before when you're on your high you forget for a second about what it was last week that they did to you because the high feels so good while you're up there but then when that low comes back then it's like a reminder again of like all the crap you just went through and that's like oh yeah no what were you gonna say
2: it's like being a heroin addict. It's the same yes. thing that happens neurologically to your brain and you start to get addicted to those highs and lows. Right. Right. So it it's very common that it just, you forget everything that happened last week. Right. Because all of a sudden now they're being amazing. Yeah. And,
0: an, and the another thing.
2: Yeah. And another thing is oftentimes they're not like that with everyone. So then they have all these friends and people that are like speaking so highly of them. But when we talk about, especially um, narcissistic personality disorder and borderline, they usually only have a couple people that they act that out on. So it's not everybody. And this is where it becomes confusing because say, Jenny, I'm just throwing this thing out there, is a narcissist and her spouse gets the abuse and maybe one of her ch- children, but everybody else she's pretty consistent with all around. And so then mm. it becomes even more confusing, right? Because they only need supply off of a few people. And when I say supply, that means where they get that, that fix of creating chaos and confrontation and spiraling in that cycle
1: right so they don't do that
2: with everybody
1: now okay so now you deal with the trauma um aspect of it like obviously the aftermath I would I would assume um what's in that area what's some of the work that you do because like um I know that her and I have (laughs) have a lot of trauma some some worked through some not so like how, what's, what sort of work do you do in that department?
2: Yeah. So a lot of it is first of all, normalizing and validating that experience and really giving a lot of psychoeducation because people that are in it. And I know I could speak from my own experience. Like you don't even know that this is all textbook stuff, right? It's not like you're alone or imagining it. So giving people information and educating them on this is so helpful because all of a sudden you're feeling really validated can you remember the first time picking up a uh, some article or something on narcissistic abuse and you're like oh my gosh like <laughs> i'm not imagining it right like this is yeah real.
1: yeah because so that you do tend to feel crazy sometimes in those mm. relationships you
2: Definitely feel crazy. That's like one of the biggest red flags too, is you feel crazy because it's so unstable, right? And so re helping somebody reestablish what safety feels like in a relationship is what the therapy is about first and foremost. It's giving them a reference point of a stable, safe relationship. And in that relationship, you can do the healing.
0: Right. Yeah. So, oh. I'm sorry, baby. Um. Well, another thing that you touched on was that they make you feel like you're crazy. So when something goes wrong, they never take accountability. Right. Is that something common with a narcissist where they're like, oh no, it's because of you, this isn't right. It's because you're taking it and turning, you know what I mean? Yeah. They make you feel like the crazy one literally. And then you're
2: like, am I? Am I? Am yeah, you start I?
0: questioning yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's a normal that's one of their traits would be like shifting it and turning it to you like you're the issue. Gaslighting, absolutely. Yeah. That's
2: typical gaslighting and it's so destructive on the person that is on the receiving end of that because it literally can make you feel and it can actually make you crazy and there's something That's called reactive abuse, right? When the person who is the victim of the narcissistic or borderline, whatever, abuse, then becomes abusive, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This happens in a lot of relationships. You become violent because you're like trying to prove that you're not crazy, Mm -hmm. but they're just, they just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and you
1: actually do become crazy, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I know that in my like my narcissistic relationship. And you know what? I feel like and you could probably touch on this as well that that term is thrown around loosely cuz I don't really know if she's diagnosed narcissistic, you know. Um mm-hmm. I just know that there was a lot of gas. It was very toxic. There was a lot of gaslighting and things like that and she brought out a beast in me that mm-hmm. has never been brought out before
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I felt like oh shit like I'm the I'm the problem here you know for a very long time so I get I definitely get that that's that's a game that and play. that's a
2: big red flag right that in itself is like you don't act like your worst self around people that are healthy for you period Yeah. You don't act out a character with people that are healthy for you. You don't people that bring out the worst in you are the worst for you. Yeah. You really know the difference when you have friends that are safe, that are loving, that are supportive. And that has to be the found like the guideline for every foundation of your friendships and relationships. So if you have one friend that you could think of where you're like, I could really be myself around this person. I feel so much like myself and I can let my guard down and I don't have to be on the defense. Use that as a reference for what healthy is because every relationship should feel that nourishing.
1: Yes. Right. And that's going back to what you were saying. You help people who have dealt with a lot of trauma within their relationships figure out what safety looks like. What does safety look like?
2: Yeah, safety looks like a regulated nervous system, right? <laughs> <laughs> and if, if we want to talk about what that means more in depth, so we have a window of tolerance, it's called, and this is where like our bodies and our nervous systems can process a regular amount of stress. When we are outside of that window of tolerance, it looks like we're either shut down or we're hyper aroused, which means we're chronically anxious waiting for the next shoe to drop. And so when we're like that, those one of those two things in a relationship, it's a red flag of that's not healthy, Mm -hmm. right? You should feel calm and safe in a healthy relationship. And you should feel comfortable in your body, not like you're hyper aroused or like you can't talk and so a healthy relationship will bring the best out in you and it will allow you to stay in that window of
1: tolerance okay so now as somebody who does this work do you are you able to like sniff out personality disorder from like a mile away you can. Yeah, you should see me dating. It's great.
0: <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> I'm, I like, probably that. the worst person to date ever because, like, <laughs> I already have, like, a full-on analysis.
1: You're diagnosing like, them the first time. To- you- totally.
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny.
1: <laughs> so what are, like, some of the signs to look for, even in friends and stuff like that? Like, I guess you... It, it, you said uh, narcissistic personality disorder, BPD, right? Borderline. I forget the other one that you said, what are we looking for in these people?
2: Looking for that love bombing, the rushing it, the future projection, like when they make up all these things, because what happens a lot of times in these relationships is you're, married to the potential of this person and they keep feeding you with potential stuff that could happen right like good stuff but what's really happening right in front of you is not good and so you want to be careful when you start um what's that word I'm looking for like uh romanticizing right like you're romanticizing this person But like, it's all in your head, like what's happening right in front of you is not what's happening in this fantasy. And when you oftentimes when you have abuse in your background, or you were not emotionally validated as a child, one of the defense mechanisms that we go into is fantasizing. And it is magical thinking, right? It's a way to feel good in a bad situation and it's like Mm -hmm. actually our body trying to take care of us by putting us somewhere else because the pain that we're experiencing is so hard that we don't know how to process that as children right and so we're more prone to end up in these kind of situations again if we didn't do the healing from our childhood wounding Mm,
1: okay okay is trauma ever fully healed
2: um okay so (laughs) it's a tricky question because I think that yes and no like yes where I could say I feel most of the time like in my window of tolerance I don't get kicked out that easy I used to live outside of it my entire life so you can achieve a a level of peace and stability in your life that is, um, I don't want to say healed, but it's, let's say, normal. And I don't even know if there is a normal because most people are honestly probably living outside of their window of tolerance. But if we're calling the window normal, you could live within that window for most part of your life. Now, that being said... I don't think the grief ever goes away from the Mm. trauma. And so you've lost a big part of your life. There's so much pain that you've been through that I think you're all, you're always going to grieve, right? Because you lost part of yourself literally. And I don't know that that ever goes away. The sadness that you feel when you think about that or, or reminisce about the times that you were in pain But I do think that you can live a really healthy life and resolve a lot of your trauma and your relationship to that trauma. Absolutely. I'm
1: a living example of it. Are there people out there who believe, can you guess, is it possible to gaslight yourself into believing that you've healed your trauma when really you've just pushed it down, suppressed it? Absolutely. I see this
2: all the time. People that think that they've healed and they've not healed—they've just um, bypassed it, and this is what we call emotional or spiritual bypassing, right?
0: It. Sorry, I just <laughs> loved that what you just said. It's, it's like music I, to I my ears. Yeah. What is for
1: people who don't know? What because we see this a lot, and this is really where I want to get into the meat and potatoes of this conversation. Yeah, because the work that you do is um i'm obviously outside of like your individual clients it has to do with these life coaches and these people who are forward facing who basically are advocating for vulnerable populations to spiritually bypass their trauma um can you touch on now we're getting excited I know, now I, to know. Know. I know i'm like whoa these we're- two are
2: perking up <laughs> I,
1: mean, I know now this is
2: interest? getting
1: <laughs> can you touch on spiritual bypassing or just bypass what that looks like and some of the stuff that you've seen because i know like oh
2: gosh i could write a book on this you want to yes. be here
1: all day
2: we'll do this <laughs> oh. it's like okay so The first time I like started getting introduced to the coaching industry and even in my own path in spirituality, I've seen this so many times. It's like the guru or the leader or the coach or the whoever knows what's best for you more than you know what's best for you, Mm -hmm. right? And they're constantly putting down like whenever you have a hard emotion because they actually don't know how to deal with it. They put you down for having it. So it's like, don't do that. Think this way. Don't do that. Think this way. Instead of going.
0: I'm sorry. Wow. I'm just loving what you're saying. She, only because she's been through it. Yes. She's been told it. So it's just like listening to you say it is. It's validating. It's very validating. Cause I like what we were saying before, how you feel like you're the crazy one for having these emotions yeah. can I go into a little bit of something that I went through and then you tell me. Absolutely. Of course. Okay, so there was a time where I was going through, I mean, I was, I was, had my divorce. I was living at my sister's house. There was just a lot going on. And I was at some point, like I was very emotional that my emotions even came out on her because I w- I just didn't know how to control everything. I was very, like, I was at my worst place. So fearful very fearful because you know. my kids I wanted to get my kids that my mind was get my kids um so I was told that I was playing victim and it
2: broke I me hate that I'm-, I'm sorry I just hate I think that is like the most awful thing ever this whole victim mentality thing is like yeah just it's just awful can you imagine like getting raped and somebody going you're just playing victim no I fucking just got raped you know what I mean I am a victim like and it's okay for me to feel like a victim right now it's the most invalidating awful re-traumatizing thing that you could experience I'm so sorry that you went through that
0: it's okay I have Um, a little
2: bit of a cold no it's
0: okay (laughs) No, so hearing you say this makes me feel like me having those feelings. I wasn't it was okay. I don't have to play robot. I don't have to put on a, a a strong face and just act like nothing's wrong. But this is a direct
1: cause of this um this really toxic self-development community that touts the these these principles of like well, just think positive. And like, what have you, like, I want to, what are some of the things you hear, see, like, I would love to get into it. Oh,
2: absolutely. So it's that just think positive or you're not working hard enough or you gotta, you know, just be higher vibe or you're too low vibe or, you know, you, you gotta raise your frequency or what else? Um, You just got to pull up your big girl pants and get over it kind of thing. This is all the jargon that goes around the personal development and spiritual communities that is so toxic and so not trauma-informed.
1: Yes, very. And like, how does this affect those people like my girlfriend, even like myself? I mean, we've all dealt with some sort of trauma, I would imagine. How does it affect these people who are actively going through shit yeah it's
2: more of what damaged them in the first place usually right and so again it's familiar you're familiar with that kind of emotional abuse and there's something in you that buys in because you're used to being in that kind of dynamic and so it's the perfect fit and if you look at it, and I'd love to like take actual statistics at how many of these personal development and spiritual leaders actually have personality disorders, because <laughs> I would guarantee it's a really, really, really high number. Yeah, literally, I'm not even messing around. Like, I'm not saying that lightly. I believe I think it. it's true. Yeah. And, and then the people that they attract, and I do a lot of damage control in this area of people that end up up and wanting to heal from spending 10, 20, $30,000 on these personal development leaders. I mean, it's, it's Mm. really bad. It's financial abuse. It's emotional abuse. They take the wounding of so many vulnerable. And a lot of times it's young women, you know, it's these young women that are in between the ages of like 25 and 40. And they have unhealed relational trauma and these, you know, high vibe coaches, personal development leaders say they have the answer to everything. It's like the old cult guru mentality, destructive Mm -hmm. cult dynamic psychology behavior. And it's, it's so toxic. So are we supposed to be like idolizing the people that are supporting us. So that's like a big red flag when you like wanna be that person and they're like, you could be like me if you just follow my four-step <laughs> protocol, right? It's like, is that really the goal? That's not how therapy is built. It's like a client-centered relationship. You're right. you're following the client, the client, you're not the savior here. That's like a huge red flag is like, especially all these this is what really bothers me. And these girls that are like, you can make a hundred thousand dollars a month if you just do these things. And then these girls sign up and they're like, Well, you have to raise your vibe, or you're not like working hard enough, or you mm. and it's like this victim like what do you call it? Blaming. Like shaming. Yeah. Shaming and blaming that and then the girls are like, Oh my god, I gotta work harder. I gotta raise my vibe. And like there's no real healing happening. Yeah, there's nope. no real trauma cleanup happening
0: at all and the truth
2: is is yeah no what were you gonna say is those people don't want to get their hands dirty like Mm -hmm. they don't want to get their hands dirty and they don't took the words
1: right out of my mouth Mm -hmm. Yep. there's no real work happening there's no real like what do you think of the idea of like shadow work as well like this th- this is a huge buzzword now as like shadow work uh, and i know i think it was coined by like carl jung carl
2: jung <laughs> yeah it, it's like an old psychological principle and i do think it's great to look at the parts of yourself that you haven't been able to look at in your unconscious but i don't know what like if there's like a new agey kind of shadow work thing you're talking mm-hmm. about
1: yeah Uh, yeah a lot of these spiritual uh coaches or these self-development coaches are using shadow work as like and and it's different if you go through each one each person like this person says you got to do this that person says you got to do that and like it's different for everybody so there's no one size fits all but it's like what the fuck is it even like, what even is it? <laughs> you know, like, well,
2: if you work with a Jungian therapist, they right. help you bring up what's not in your consciousness. And it's kind of like opening your self-awareness to parts of yourself that may have been um like repressed because of whatever you've been through. But I don't know how these you know, new people are using it as a tool to help their clients.
1: I don't, I've heard it so many different times. Like one person was like, well, you just have to keep asking yourself like, why? So it's like, I'm like, you start out with, for me, I have body dysmorphia. I'm feeling very like body dysmorphic or whatever. I'm feeling shame about my body. Okay. Why? Because I ate chicken nuggets okay well why because i would like and apparently if you just keep asking yourself why you get down to like the nitty-gritty that seems crazy making to me right right
2: that's like a that's like a vortex i would never want anybody to go down like that's not really helpful so what it's like so what
1: like exactly where is it going like where that's exactly my that's my point is that a lot of people are taking these actual, these things that are rooted in actual psychology that have actual origins and shitting and pissing all over it and saying it's coaching and it's helping. And I think that's also friggin' really dangerous. Really dangerous. And and I'm sure you can be
2: allowed. I want to shut it all down. I wish I had like permission to just start like shutting people down on the (laughs) internet. Like, (laughs) I would do anything. Like, I'd be so good at that. They should definitely hire me to be like internet protection for like (laughs) psychological safety because it's terrible. Like, I see it all the time. Even people that are like trauma informed and they're like super toxic, you know, or people that are using internal family systems or parts work that really have no idea what they're doing. Maybe they took a class or read a book and think that they know how to use these therapeutic techniques without having any other education around it or
1: context. And I think that's really dangerous. Mm -hmm. I agree agree with you wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that the coaching community as a whole, I think there are great coaches out there. I really do. Absolutely. That are genuine. They've put in the work. Um, and so this is not to even, like, shit on that community. But what I see a lot of are people taking the um the expert position on things that I don't think they, quite frankly, know even a fraction uh, about. Like, especially trauma. Trauma is deep. Like, you know, I mean you're a, you're a therapist you're trying you're you specialize in trauma you didn't just read a book you know what i mean like it pro- mm-hmm. uh, h- like how long did it take you to get to that place where you're like okay i'm comfortable working with people who have these the, this trauma well i got
2: thrown right in in the beginning of my education so i didn't really have a choice <laughs> it was like, go in the fire I was working in like a dual diagnosis halfway house with people that had schizophrenia and, oh, and were drug wow. addicts at the same time. Yeah. I'm like, hi, I'm like 20. I have no <laughs> clue what I'm doing, but oh, I got God. thrown right in and um, I was comfortable sitting in hard places. Cause I grew up in a hard place. And I think yeah. that's the most important thing is like that you can hold space without reacting to somebody digging into some of the hardest places of their unconscious, right? And their process. And a lot of these people that are bringing trauma up in other people, they have the agenda to shift it or take it away. And that's not really how trauma heals. It's not like you're gonna use your technique and just shift this trauma Mm -hmm. out of somebody, right? And yeah. so that's problematic, like really problematic, and it's really popular as well yes. on the internet.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's
1: this, and and oh, and obviously, I'd love to get your take on this as well because I know you like from talking to you outside of the podcast, you have, you are, a, you would consider yourself a spiritual person. It's a some degree. Mm-hmm. Um. And so how do you, how do people balance this like spirituality with rationality and practicality and facts? Because I think a lot of people go into woo-woo fucking land and get stuck there. And it's like, well, I need to vibe high. And that's where all that, I need to just raise my frequency and yes. I need to We're in 3D. I can't think about my money issues because if I do, then that's a lack mentality and mm-hmm. it's gonna create more money issues. And then you start to like police your own thoughts and your thoughts that are coming through are friggin' normal. So like how do you how do you how do you balance it?
2: Yeah, you have compassion for yourself. It's like, (laughs) oh, wow, that's really hard to be thinking that. This is how I teach my clients. You have money trauma and you're like, oh, my God, I'm like so upset because I keep and it's like, no, stop and hold yourself right here. That's really hard to have those thoughts. And that compassion is actually what heals you. It's not beating yourself up and trying to be right or wrong. It's having compassion for yourself because when you're a child and you are dysregulated, you get mirroring and validation from a parent, and that's what helps re-regulate you. So you have to do that reparenting work on yourself over and over and over and over. So instead of beating yourself up or telling yourself you're wrong for having that thought instead, it's like, oh, honey, that's really hard to be feeling that way. Right. And holding yourself with love and support is what's going to actually heal it instead of trying to get rid of it. That's not going to heal anything.
1: So like a scenario is let's say one month you're having, you're stressing about bills or something like that. You had a lot of things come up and you're having a titty attack about your bills. <laughs> um, so you, what you're saying is, instead of if I'm having a panic attack or in a moment, instead of me being like, I have to get out of this mentality, like I have to think, just talking to myself and saying, you know what, Tori, what you have dealt with this month was stressful. And that must be a little bit difficult for you. And you're allowed to feel these feelings. And that in and of itself is healing.
2: Absolutely. That it's acceptance. I love acceptance. that. I it's love turning that. toward, not away from, it's turning toward yourself with love and compassion and holding yourself. Learning to hold yourself in those hard places gives you containment. And when we feel contained, that's what creates safety in our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like giving yourself a hug and it helps your whole nervous system calm down. And there's actually research behind like those uh, mirror neurons when we're little mm-hmm. and how they regulate our nervous system. Well, we could start to do that to ourselves, be our own compassionate validating mirror. And in my experience, that's the greatest healer
0: of trauma that there is.
1: Yeah. And it's so crazy because did have you even thought of doing that or talking never
0: I we were we were actually taught to do something else we were always taught don't fear monger the money or you know even with budgeting we were told don't budget spend it like you have it and me and her just always, dumb thank just you dumb <laughs> so dumb but because we were we got an apartment we're doing things now adults would worry about bills grocery you know these little things that you never had to worry about well now we're worrying about them and we're sitting here talking about budgeting and this and that and then we're being told are you guys okay don't worry about budgeting live have spend it like you have it and we're like looking at each other like we're the crazy ones for budgeting like I got mad at her for I'm like don't talk to me about budgeting because I at one point started believing we can't think like that so Go I, talk
2: to a to a financial advisor that's somebody what she that's said. graduated like Harvard and let's see what they say. Okay.
1: That's <laughs> right. exactly what she said. <laughs> that was what I said, because I yeah. was I said the word budget to her, and it was as if I said threesome. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like she was like, uh uh-uh, uh, I don't, I don't want to hear it.
0: <laughs> don't talk to me about my
1: relationship. <laughs> and I was like,
0: what? Like yeah. this is gonna help us. And it took her a while to warm up to it. And then I finally went in, on Amazon and got one of those budget books because I was like, you know what? You're right. We do need it because she made a good point. She's like, even millionaires, billionaires have financial people who take care of their stuff because they need to stay in a budget. Like they do need to know what they could spend it's and what they can't. So I was it's like, It's only she's internet right.
2: guru financial people that tell you to do something different. And it's like, It's so bypassing and it's so dangerous, actually, because it's like these are practical strategies to create a safe and healthy foundation for yourself. And so, without these very basic principles, and like you could couple that with being spiritual and having faith in the universe or a higher power that. Things are going to open up for you and holding the vision for yourself and right. all of those things. It's the both. And it's not come away from reality and just go up in the clouds. It's have a foot in reality and have a foot in your vision. You know yes. what I mean? And your connection with the universe or God or your higher power, whatever you want to call it, but make sure your feet are on the ground.
0: So <laughs> like, or
1: you're going to fly away, right? Right. Yeah, right. I agree, and and I think a lot of these spiritual teachers, because I really don't think they're teaching much other than how to create, how to suppress your trauma, really. Um, th- they, they perpetuate this idea that you need to be, um, your thoughts need to be perfect at all times. You need to be perfect at all times. And that to me, and I looked at her and I was like, this isn't reality. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this is not rooted in reality. We live on this earth. Because there's a lot of people who are like, well, you have to think in a 5D perspective. I don't even know what the hell that even means. Because we live, whether you believe in God, Allah, freaking the universe whatever it is we live on earth we are of the earth Mm -hmm. we have to be grounded in the things that we're doing you know and like when you see all of these like first of all who do we want to name drop i don't know people that you've (laughs) seen that are that you're like this is fucking toxic what are some of the things they're saying? Because I mean, I've seen Joe Dispenza say, like, you have to brainwash yourself. And I just don't think brainwashing is good. I don't think it's good either. Isn't and I that think that like really, gaslighting,
2: it is. It is. And a lot of these girls are saying, and a lot of these big money manifestation people too say the same thing. You have to think like you're a billionaire already or a millionaire. Mm. And they're telling this to people that can't pay their bills. So just like, you you got to invest in me and think like you're already there. Right. So it's a Mm -hmm. big manipulation. Usually that ends up being to pay them. Like literally they tell you this and then it's like, you got to just invest like you're already there. And now there's this whole slew of humans that are in financial debt because they've given thousands of dollars to these money manifestation people that are telling yep. them like they need to think that they're already a millionaire. How about let's resource these people into community resources and social services yeah. because they can't pay their bills, you know? Yeah. Like it's yeah, so infuriating.
1: And, I agree. and that for me has always fucked me up because it's like, how do you not pay attention to your current circumstances? Like especially if your circumstances are currently struggle of like financial struggle, you have to, it's almost like getting a cancer diagnosis and being like, don't think about it. Don't pretend it never happened. Like, Mm -hmm. and just with life. No, you have to tackle that. Just picture yourself being 100%. (laughs)
2: Right. Right.
1: You're right. And you
2: want to picture yourself being
1: healthy but get fucking treatment at the same time, right? Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of these people are basically saying, just ignore it, basically. Don't think in from that victim mentality. Don't think from that low vibe place. And these people are not getting help <laughs> because okay. of it. They're literally just ignoring their trauma. I've
2: seen really worst case scenarios where people get into really bad detrimental places and really um, their mental health goes downhill because they're wrapped up in these kind of uh, mentors and coaches and spiritual teachers. It can really take one to bad places after they start to wake up from it and realize how much damage was really done a lot of emotional damage and financial damage as well
0: Mm
1: -hmm. so what is like like worst case scenario people get uh like mentally they're not okay psychosis I've seen
2: psychosis before I've seen um people end up in inpatient after being in situations like this I've seen I used to work in a clinic in Mexico where even like a, a lot of these fake spiritual medicine men would do these medicine retreats and they have no no uh like credentials and they'd crack people open and leave them wide open. There's no integration, there's no processing. And we see a, uh this is another big thing we see in some of these big personal development teachers is they come out and you know, it's like a show. And they start cracking people open in front of like whole crowds of people. And it looks like a breakthrough because they've cracked you open and you're crying. And now you've realized it was your mom that messed you up and all this stuff. And it's all emotional. And it looks like such a big, like, opening transformation. But what happens after that? Who's following up with this person? Who's Mm. responsible for this person? I've seen that happen so many times too it's like cracking people open is the easy part but holding space for them for the long haul is the hard part and these people aren't doing that it's like sign up for my next program sign up but they never really give you the healing
1: it's just more cracking you open without healing is that that's performative and calculated right because oh yeah okay because on these documentaries like i've seen like a tony robbins documentary i don't care to name drop honestly cuz i'm never going to talk to these people so and i'll never have them on the show anyway um but like tony robbins i've seen crack people open and like i've never thought about the aftermath yeah same i've i've always watched it like oh my god he's amazing he like really did something did that and now you're like speaking on it. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. What's happening? After? What
2: goes next? Yeah. I don't think these big cathartic openings in front of groups of people are very safe at all. I think it's very egotistical a lot of the times. And it's like, let me show everyone what I have the power to do. Right. And that's not humble. That's not supportive. That's really damaging. Even though it might feel like this person had a huge breakthrough because they have an aha moment.
0: Mm. That's
2: not the hard part being a helper. The hard part is sitting with them through picking up the pieces Mm. after that, because it's not just like, and this is what a lot of these people do they give you these realizations but they don't help you clean it up right Right. and when we're cracked open there's a lot of cleanup that needs to happen and then they don't want to touch that they don't want to touch that messy mess right they'll just crack you open but
1: don't want to touch the mess Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. they're going to make the mess but they don't want to clean it right exactly that's messed up so what are people in your experience what should they be because ultimately and i know i know how passionate you are about all of this because you want you really do care about helping people and so do we yeah. and that's why we're here right so how do we combat this or how do we educate people who may be listening or watching and like help them for the future to see like this is what you need to be looking for in a good coach and this yes. is what to avoid this is that these are yeah. the talking points to avoid like what would you say
2: well I wrote a whole book about it I co-wrote ah. a book actually about it so it's ethics for coaching the four pillars of ethical coaching and you could get it for free it's a it's a free download on um, ethicsforcoaching dot org. And you could I mean it's like an 80 page book with examples and scenarios and all the things that we see happening in the industry that are um very manipulative and persuasive and dangerous and abusive.
0: I forgot, yeah, you did write the book. Okay, we're I'm gonna leave it for people. Yeah, we should put that in we'll put the link in there yeah. for everybody so that they can mm-hmm. read on their leisure and mm-hmm. you you've also created a board
1: right well it's a it's an advocacy movement we're
2: calling it now because we're not actually a nonprofit but we're doing consumer advocacy it's i mean we're we're all volunteers that put our time into this because we are a bunch of professionals and coaches Um, mental health professionals, legal professionals, social science professionals, marketing professionals, ethics professionals, that all kind of see what's happening here and want to advocate for change. And so in order to do that, we've been volunteering our time to uh, come up with the book and help educate people and take this stuff into um, get... Laws change. So the attorneys are working on doing law change and educating people on the laws around this and the problem. So we're definitely making a uh, movement. It's slow, but you know, we're all volunteers and we meet like once or twice a month um together to talk about next steps. And it's definitely moving forward. So I'm really excited about it. And I really feel in my heart, like in five years, this stuff is going to be banned off the internet. Like, it's it's not going to be allowed. Oh, it it is. because It definitely
1: is. There's no regulatory body, anybody. And I need people to know this. Anybody can call themselves a life coach on any topic.
0: Without, without any, any, any without
1: any regulation, any experience, any education,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you don't, there's no, you don't need, Um, you don't need to go to a life coach like course. And even if you do go to a life coaching course, it really, and I'm somebody who has gone through the six month training of like life coaching. It's the equivalent, the certificate you get is the equivalent to me taking a piece of toilet paper and writing life coach certificate on it, it means nothing. It really doesn't. And a lot of these coaches are
2: training other coaches to coach the same toxic way that they're coaching. And so there's that whole thing too, that there's multi-million dollar schools for life coaching that are literally passing on those manipulative methods that spiritually and emotionally bypass. And now we've got this whole MLM going on of like coaches, coaching coaches on how to coach. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is so problematic too, because
0: it's just a shit show. What sucks for specialists like you is that here, these, these coaches doing this coaching, that's not really coaching and causing actually more damage. And now that you guys have to go and undo this damage. So that must be hard for you guys on top of it. It's like now they, now you have to rewire this person's way of thinking. We talk to
2: so many victims. It's so sad how many people are victims of this and they hide in shame because they feel so stupid spending tens of thousands of dollars, having no money, realizing they've been manipulated and abused. And so what we really need is to collect data. That's how we're going to change laws. So on the board not the board on the ethics for coaching website um we're collecting data so that's like the biggest thing is we need to show that enough people are being hurt to really get um these laws changed
1: that's amazing i love that yeah i really do incredible because it's needed especially like i see a lot of people emerging and you can already tell you're just like oh god you're when i started coaching i was like what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm not qua- like, I'm not qualified to be sitting down talking to somebody. What, how can I help? You know, I don't know jack shit about shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there are a lot of coaches who are not thinking that they're like, I know everything. And those are the ones that are going to do the most damage sure. mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's it's
0: scary. It's very dangerous. At least you, can it is. That. you could say, hey, I don't know everything, but I'm willing to help. You know what I mean? Versus somebody I, just, to, I got it down. Path. I told you this. I just listen. Like, I don't know how I help. I just sit there and I listen.
1: And that's it. <laughs> you know,
2: well, that's like the most valuable tool, like is to be a listener and to hold space for others. That's what people need is just to be heard and seen and validated, not invalidated and gaslit and told that their thoughts are bad or wrong. That's horrible behavior. And, and by the way, I do want to say like, there are a lot of great professional coaches out there that take their profession seriously. And they get well trained and well educated. And they actually have the skill sets and the training to do beautiful coaching, right? But it it becomes a conflict of interest when we don't have a clear, defined where is the line between mental health and life coaching, and that's not right. defined for
0: anybody right now. No, right. it's not, and and that's scary. <laughs> so I scary. mean, w- one life coach can have a different experience from whoever they're coaching then that person can. And what they could be doing is a lot more like trauma to that person because whatever they experienced might not be, might've worked for them, but it's not going to work for everybody, you know? And maybe it didn't like, maybe it
1: worked. Maybe it, maybe they, cause I think there are a lot of coaches out, not a lot, but I've seen some coaches out there who are saying, they've you know healed their trauma or they've helped their trauma in certain ways but i think they've spiritually they've spiritually bypassed their trauma and believe that they're healed when really they're just suppressing and they they haven't themselves snapped out of of it or woken up does that make sense
2: absolutely yeah and and sometimes the defense mechanisms against the trauma are so strong that that's what actually causes personality disorders a lot is like the the defense mechanisms are so strong like they'll never feel that pain that they're really experiencing they bypass it so much that it actually becomes productive and it looks good you know what i mean
1: yeah yeah, yeah absolutely it's scary it really is scary it's very scary um okay so now i want to just take some of your time yeah yeah and, go ahead uh to ask some some good questions that people actually like a lot of people had some really good questions they were excited yeah they were what we told them oh aw, that's be awesome <laughs> yeah they were, really, they were really and you're our first guest yeah so oh
0: welcome
2: thank you i feel so honored thank you we feel honored yeah thank
1: you for being on here um so lisa asks are there we kind of touched on this but um are there degrees of narcissism like uh meaning very subtle versus not so subtle
2: i mean there's covert narcissists and ones that aren't covert so some And I think almost the one that's more subtle is more dangerous because it's not as obvious. You know what I mean?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And so, yeah, there's definitely different degrees of it, but I'd say it's just all hard to be in a relationship with. Mm
1: -hmm. That's great. Now the next question is what is, and I think you might, uh, what's the best way to deal with your triggers from a past trauma once the trigger has been identified.
2: Yeah, so the first part is identifying it. It's like, okay, here it is. I'm in this place, right? And then learn to show up for yourself there. Again, it's like, oh wow, for me this is really hard to be going through this and to hold yourself in that place and take the time to really show up and support yourself versus going, oh my god, what do I do, right? And that mm-hmm. like sets you in a spiral or trying to push it down. Right. And so a lot of people will even beat themselves up for feeling the way they feel. And there's nothing healthy about that. So you have to stop and really hold yourself in that place with support and love versus beat yourself up or try to run away from it or deflect from it or not feel it. You have to turn towards
1: it. I love that. I love that. And by the way, Sasha Cordell was the person who answered asked that question. Um let's see. Let's see. No, I, I asked oh, okay, that one. Sorry. Oh, your cousin Kara. <laughs> Hi Taz. She, she knows. <laughs> she, she already knows uh that you're going to this is this is your question. How does trauma present in the body? Um, and how do you recognize and work through generational trauma? What are the skills to navigate life when you're not ready to leave your narcissistic abuser?
2: Wow, good question, Kara. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a couple parts to this. So the first part is how does trauma show up in the body? And the trauma shows up in the body as disease, right? So when we're not at ease, we're in trauma. Trauma is yeah. disease. Wow. Yeah.
1: Would you say, okay, you say dis-ease as is, as, as in like. You don't feel at ease internally. You're okay. anxious,
2: you're depressed, you're anything that doesn't like feel at ease. And I'm not saying there aren't clinical, like not every depression is because of unresolved trauma either. Right. Yeah. There And so this is where I think it's really important to have a, clinical background, because we always want to assess for medical reasons for, you know, hormones, like there's so many different things at play. But if it really is trauma, it shows up as being dysregulated inside, like you don't feel calm, you're like, anxious and dysregulated is the word. It's not, you can't make clear decisions, you're confused. Mm. Um, A lot of times it feels like your heart's beating really fast, or you're completely shut down. Right. And so we can have a lot of uh, subtle sensations in our body that are telling us that we are in a trauma response or that we are triggered. And so this is where I love somatic psychotherapy and that's like my jam is helping people to get into the nuances of what they're experiencing so that they know their signs, right? Of like Mm -hmm. when you're in your trauma and you're outside of your window of tolerance. So um, there's also been a ton of research now in major universities that link like autoimmune diseases and trauma. So we know that, yeah, yeah, a ton. makes sense. Totally. It's the body fighting itself, right? Autoimmune diseases. There's so many of my clients. I can't, I've, I've known this before I've known it. Like there's a direct link between, and I had chronic illness for most of my life before I was, and I'm not saying I'm healed, but before I was at peace with my relationship with my trauma, right? Mm. I suffered chronically with every kind of illness you could ever imagine. And I remember being called a hypochondriac as a kid all the time. And it's like, cause there wasn't any real provable disease, but I always felt sick. Like always, my head would always hurt. My stomach would always hurt. I was always itchy. There was always like something wrong with me that yeah. nobody could figure out what it was. So we have a lot of psychosomatic symptoms when we have trauma that, might not be diagnosable even it might be like what what is going on like rashes there's so many ways that trauma shows up in our body
0: Sense. oh my god i would never put the
1: two together and you know definitely it makes so much sense yeah it really does because you know not like anxiety all of that can can present physically you know Um, Oh yeah. The fact that we don't, we don't put that together. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: we need to stop when we recognize it happening, we need to pause and attend to ourselves instead of try to deflect or hide it or move past it or go get a drink or watch TV. And I get it. Those are all coping mechanisms because people aren't, um, we don't learn as children mm-hmm. how to show up and regulate our emotions and process our emotions. There's no class in school that is teaching us this, unfortunately. And so what do we learn? We learn to distract or disassociate or move past or whatever it is, but we have to learn how to presence ourselves to ourselves on a deeper level in order to really heal and make peace with those parts of us that are still wounded, right? Yeah. And so, okay, that was the first part.
1: Kara. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> God damn it, Kara. Um, how to recognize and work through generational trauma. And then what are the skills to navigate life when you're not ready to leave your narcissistic abuser?
2: Recognize and what generational trauma? And heal generational trauma?
1: Work through.
2: Yeah. So I guess recognizing it is is taking a deep dive into your family of origin and looking at some of the relational dynamics that have happened historically through the generations. Right, Kara and I are always drawing out our family tree when we're together. We're like uh, the psychological family tree. We've got it nailed pretty much. We have a huge (laughs) family too. We're like, oh my gosh, there's just like so much information you can get by literally like looking at the psychological makeup of your family tree. Right. Mm -hmm. And like we see some of this generational stuff being passed down, like just for instance, like even people that have had immigrants as grandparents, like I did. Right. And like they come here and they're in survival mode. So a lot of people that have immigrants that are first generation or second generation here your parents and grandparents came here. They were just trying to survive and they really were in survival mode. So then you take on that trauma of being in survival mode, because that's how you learn to be as a child. It's like, got to eat everything on your plate, right? Got to, there's never going to be enough. Like all that kind of stuff does get passed on generationally. And so there's even been a lot of research around, um, descendants of ancestors who were in the Holocaust and how the DNA and the genes have changed and the psychological makeup of the whole race and culture because of the trauma that they went through collectively. So it's so interesting. And that's like the study of epigenetics too, where I know Dr. Joe talks about that, but it's like <laughs> our genes change when we've been through hard events and that they can actually change back with the work, not by bypassing it, but we're malleable in that way of we can reverse the generational trauma that we have taken on from our parents. I'm not saying it's quick or there was a magic cure, but we could start to identify and
1: work on that stuff for sure. Hell yeah. I love that. Um, uh what are the skills to navigate life when you're not ready to leave your narcissistic abuser?
0: Is that still um Kara? That's still Kara. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah.
2: What are the skills to navigate life when you're not ready? Hmm. That's a, a great question. I think you need to build your strength, you know, and keep being in environments and with people that support the healthiest version of yourself, listening to the right. Podcasts, reading the right books. It's like getting mentally prepared so that you can get ready. But I know that it's a slow process for a lot of people because there's a lot of buy in and there's a lot of reasons that it, you know, that to stay with that person, right? Logical reasons. Like, for instance, a lot of women can't just jump ship because of finances. Like, that's the biggest thing that we see why people stay in in relationships where there's domestic violence, there's no finances for the women to get out. Right. And so this is where, what are you going to just tell them to think positive? No, (laughs) you have to start making a plan with them. And it might be a four year plan, but they need a structured financial plan of how to get out, how they're going to work their way out of this, not just to think positive when they're being abused, right? There's practical, things and you've got to gather your resources and see what's going on in the community or your church, your synagogue or whatever yeah. it is so you can have a practical plan to get out of that circumstance but you got to
1: that's yeah. even it, sometimes people even have to do it under under the the table sort of thing like oh, hiding yeah. money you know oh yeah. yeah oh
2: yeah but you need a plan you need a yeah, plan absolutely. and you got to follow the plan because you know, and Karen and I have talked about this a lot, but like in my relationship, I jumped ship, I had no plan. And it was very, very damaging on my children. Like looking back, would I have done it differently? Had I had the education and knowledge on how to do it differently? Heck yes, I would have had a plan. I was just like, I'd rather live in a cardboard box, goodbye. And then I'm in a cardboard box with my kids. And I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> like, what did I just yeah. do? Yeah, like, yeah, this is really traumatic too, you know? Right. And so I think that you don't want to just jump and end up in more trauma. You want to have a plan and keep the kids as, you know, normal as possible until you can really take those steps in a way that's healthy.
0: I Agreed. love that.
1: I love that. Uh, our friend Lisa... Pepez asks, what advice do you have for people who are survivors of narcissistic, see, narcissists are so popular, of of narcissistic abuse, who are in healthy and nurturing relationships, but bring a a lot of past coping behaviors that are no longer needed or no longer healthy into their current relationship. Mm -hmm. Then she also said in parentheses, it's a big question, I realize.
2: (laughs) It's a huge question, and it really depends on your situation and your coping mechanisms, but you have to, you know, get regular mental health support and be working on those coping mechanisms and be analyzing your situation and your wounding from the past relationship and how that's coming into the current relationship so that you can make those small changes, but you have to recalibrate and it takes a while to recalibrate to realize it's like a soldier that comes out of war you know you're just like then they're not in the war anymore but they hear a sound and they're like (gasps) Mm -hmm. it's the same thing with somebody that's been in a narcissistic relationship you know there's one little thing and like they're triggered right back into I'm still there and so it takes a while to start to dismantle and recalibrate to i'm not actually in the war anymore right yeah. but that that takes devotion you have to do the work
1: yeah yeah I've, I've even realized within my relationship with her that mm-hmm. uh even though i ended that relationship that was very traumatizing five six years ago i wasn't in a long-term relationship that entire time she's the first person that I'm in an actual committed relationship with since that. And I've, I'm, I still notice like certain things that like, you know, waiting for the ball to drop or waiting for her to get angry about something and lash out. It's, it's, it's longstanding. Like the trauma. Oh yeah. It lasts. Yeah. And to,
2: you know, when I work with couples, I always, teach them how to know each other's wounding and support each other in it. So like if she knew that you were going through that in the moment, you could say like, honey, like I notice you're feeling triggered. What can I do to be supportive in this moment? Right. And so that's building um, a healthy relationship and healthy intimacy is when you learn each other and you know what triggers each other and you could show up to support each other
0: with it right right i love that i love that too i was just thinking i'm gonna use that Uh,
1: me too i'm like i'm Mm -hmm. gonna use that as like a pickup line
0: oh yeah (laughs) you know
1: as a pickup line Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) gonna be my pickup line i I noticed you're feeling triggered we'll do one more question and then we won't uh you know keep you for all freaking night especially in the middle of a a hurricane yeah tornado (laughs) and hurricane um let's see we have how do you get past personal issues of being judged by family this person as gabby she had her son her son young uh doesn't matter what her son does she never wants to tell any of her family because she feels that they're judging her uh also because of the way she was raised from a divorced family being special needs child um struggling in school, always needing help. So I guess she just feels like she's always judged. How do you like navigate that?
2: Yeah. And so if you really are being judged all the time, you have to learn to have healthy boundaries with your family members, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that looks like moving back from them. And sometimes that looks like having no contact depending on how harmful that is for you. And so it's important to look at, what the impact is how that makes you feel and strategically moving back and creating healthy boundaries if the relationship isn't
1: healthy okay, yeah love i that. love that now no wait, you mentioned no contact do you think that going no contact is ideal in certain like, like n- you could just answer, I guess, because
2: in certain situations it's necessary.
1: Yeah. When there's,
2: you know, uh, violence or there's such deep emotional abuse that it is impacting your ability to live a healthy life. Absolutely. Um, there are definitely situations when no contact is the best route. I'm not saying it is for every situation. It's so unique sometimes necessary oftentimes not just healthy boundaries can do the job but in certain situations it is necessary
1: okay yeah i agree i mean re- yeah
0: to an extent yes i i, agree. I, I told uh, no i'm agreeing with her like saying depends what it is it, the situation how bad it could be right, that you're, you, have you should never accept
1: on. abuse absolutely emotional or physical um, no absolutely
0: not yeah
1: so, absolutely not i totally agree with that yeah um that's i mean we're not going to keep you with all of the questions uh we had so many but we would love to have you back on we appreciate you being on here yes. as our first official guest Aww. thank you so much is there thank anything you, you want to leave the viewers with um anything you want to say you want to touch on before we yeah, we head out just
2: hang in there, keep doing the work, show up for yourself, be loving and compassionate with yourself. Don't abuse yourself over everything that you've been through. That's the worst possible thing you could do. So try to turn that into compassion and keep going because there is healing that can happen through all of this. And thank you so much both for having me. I'm really honored to to be your first guest
1: and I would love to come back. Oh, oh hell yeah! We would
0: love that. Hell yeah! This was amazing, even
1: for us. Like once, this is eye opening. Once a month, once every two months, we're gonna have you on. <laughs> um, count me in.
2: I'm in. I'm a hundred percent in. I love it. Thank we you love so you. much. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. This was awesome. And I'll be, be careful, careful in the. Soon
1: be careful in the monsoon <laughs> i know it's
2: starting to like get a little windy and stuff but i used to live in florida so i'm like yeah no
1: no she's we're not bad, in that
2: bad <laughs> she's like
1: I-, I ain't no bitch i can handle this <laughs>
2: exactly so far we're doing okay over here <laughs> well
1: good luck well, you know, i'll right. text you okay Have bye